This episode is sponsored by BodyTrack. If you are in the golf industry and let's say you're trying to figure out reasons behind speed increases, more efficient ways to improve short game and looking to check out some application and example lessons of folks using data from the ground like center of pressure, vertical force, pressure traces, our friends over at BodyTrack have just re-released their amazing course and certification on the interaction between the golfer and the ground. I know that hundreds of you have already signed up and don't worry, you can go watch the new content and even an example lesson with yours truly uh, at no additional cost. Uh, I was there at the filming this past year in Birmingham, Alabama. It was fantastic. The course and certification is one of the best done out there. The quality is amazing. The best instructors, I mean, you got Sasho, you've got Mark Blackburn, you've got other other great folks pouring into that. And the online portal is really nice, easy to go through, watch all the stuff and, and get learning. Check out the link golfsciencelab.com slash body track. That will redirect you to the page you need to go to. And we have a, an awesome GSL exclusive discount. A good chunk of, of money is being taken off of that course cost uh, when you go through that. And we just uh, thank you to Body Track for sponsoring Golf Science Lab. Having myself down to check that out last year is really, really fun. And uh, they've posted that example lesson with Mark and myself, where we were looking at uh, fades and draws on center pressure data. So even if you're not interested in the course, go check that out at that link. And if you are, I hope you sign up. Let me know what you think. Thank you again. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking with leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back this week to another episode this week, we are going deeper on last week's conversation. The story was with Matt Parzielli, and we talked about how he went from mini tours to playing in last year's Masters tournaments. And I hope that you got to listen to that over Masters week and, and enjoy that, the best week of the year. And now this week, we're coming back to look at the lessons learned from that story. So we did this with the Hal Sutton story. We had Dr. Brett McCabe on. And this week we have Dr. Greg Carton come on. He is a fantastic consultant, sports performance expert that we have talked to a bunch in the past. And he actually works with Matt on this kind of stuff. So it'll be a great insider perspective. We're going to look at his story, look at some of the key things that helped him to reach the success that he has. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, we have actually extended our enrollment for the spring session of the Mindfulness for Golf course. Just through this weekend here, with all the hubbub of the Masters and whatnot, uh, we decided just to push that off uh, another five days just to cope with the chaos of everything that happened. So we're going to extend that. So make sure to check that out, golfsciencelab.com slash mindfulness. Get all the information and sign up there. Learn from Dr. Greg. He works with Matt, and um, Matt actually wrote us an awesome testimonial about how much Greg has helped him. So check that out. Hope that you enjoy this chat with Greg where we discuss some of the key lessons from Matt. Matt's story last week. All right, Greg. So last week we heard the story of Matt Parziali, someone that you actually work with. And his story is really interesting because he actually didn't make it on the pro tour like he wanted, but has found success here later on as an amateur. And so I just wanted to sit down and talk through some of the themes that we heard from his story and what we can potentially take away, what we all can learn from it 
from your perspective. And I know that the first thing that stuck out to you started from his, you know, from his young days when he was growing, you know, just at the club playing with friends. Talk to us about that kind of theme that you heard. Yeah, I was, I think what struck me most of, you know, about Matt's talk with you and is this idea that when, you know, when he was a kid, he always surrounded himself. He, he used the word friends quite a bit. And, and I think that's such an important piece. He was, you know, around people that he enjoyed being around, but that they also were able to push him because, as he said, he wasn't the best one. And from a psychological or performance standpoint, we talk about flow, Chiksamehai's work, and trying to get into those flow states. It requires this sort of match between skill and challenge, right? So he was always a little bit out of his comfort zone skill-wise. The challenge was always enough for him to keep him engaged, but also to make him better. And I think that was huge in his development as a young as a young golfer. Yeah, for sure. That this theme of competition and being in a competitive environment, not the best, I think is a very common one that I've heard when talking to players. I think it's I think it's crucial for people to have that in their kind of learning and skill development if they want to keep moving forward because they're just a little bit out of their comfort zone and they always have somebody pushing them to to you know be a bit better. Yeah, I mean I think we talk about that all the time, you know, especially with practice and skill development is that finding that sweet spot where you're being pushed but it's not so hard to where you lose interest and you feel anxious about it, but also that it's hard enough to where you don't develop boredom and sort of get stale, right? So it's finding that perfect challenge point that's going to keep you so engaged, but also going to help you improve. And look, a lot of those times, those things happen organically. I don't think Matt set out to set that situation up for himself. It just sort of happened. But it's a great lesson and something I think parents can talk to kids about all the time is finding environments where they're challenged and that they don't always succeed and they don't, you know, because that's going to bring about a lot of burnout and boredom. Yeah. Well, that's what I love is a lot of these things that seem to be most effective for people getting better are the things that just kind of happen. They're not the planned things. It's just part of their environment that they're, they're in. You know, we we could podcast on that alone. I mean, this idea that we try to force these environments on kids or even adults really right to where most of the time there's so much resistance to to those environments that nothing happens at all actually the opposite happens right not only you're not getting better but you sort of lose interest in the sport yeah and oftentimes when you hear stories about kids development these are the things that happen organically they happen naturally they just sort of come about and you can pick and choose some things to uh, if you're looking to create a specific environment but that a lot of it has to just sort of happen and unfold naturally. So like if I'm in the the mind of a a parent right now, potentially thinking about this, they're like, oh, you know, if if I drop my kid off or I have my kid just, you know, out with their friends playing Mm -hmm. golf, you know, how can I actually learn anything? Aren't they just screwing around the whole time? Yeah. I mean, sometimes screwing around is okay too. I think the more important question to ask the kids at the end of the day is, hey, how did it go? Did you have a good time? Right. And that's most important. You know, kids, they're going to be honest with you about whether they're having fun or not. And I think that's to keep kids engaged at, at that age, at a young age is, is the most important piece. And then you can tweak it a little bit from there. And then the second question, you know, did you feel challenged at all? Like, were you uncomfortable? And, and, and as, as they get a little bit older, 
hoping that they find more situations where they're challenged. And usually that comes about just from com- competition alone. And I think Matt alluded to that a lot. They, they were always competing. They were always, they weren't just standing on the range and beating balls, but they were always competing with each other. And I think competition is the best environment for not only skill development, but also learning how to, how to score and how to play. So is the, is the question then when you're, when my son hops in the car here in a few years is, Hey, did you uh, win or lose money today at the course? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> what did you shoot? Right. That's a dangerous question. It sort of rolls off our tongue. Right. But more important at that age, Hey, did you have a good time? Yeah. What well, that force thing was interesting. I want to bounce back to that quickly. What do you mean by you can't force things? Like, what do you not want to do then? I, I, I just don't think you want to create an environment where a kid feels so uncomfortable or so dejected that they lose interest in the game. And again, every kid's going to be different. So I don't think you, there's a model for that. But asking the important questions about what they're getting out of their time at the golf course is going to help people to design or help parents maybe to design more productive environments for their kids. But saying, you know, setting out a schedule at the beginning of the week, you're, you're going to have a lesson on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're going to spend three hours at the range, and then you're going to go play nine holes with this guy. I think these are environments that have to sort of unfold naturally. And I guess that's, you know, I get back to that same idea, that question asking about, did you enjoy yourself is so important. And then also, you know, if you do, as a parent, have the chance to observe your children to, instead of picking out things that they did wrong or did right, just tell them you enjoyed watching them play. And so at an uh, early age, they don't start to develop an identity that's so tied into result where if I play well, my parents are going to treat me different than if I play poorly, right? It's all about, hey, I just enjoyed watching you play. And and those are simple questions to ask. Uh, I know we're jumping around here a lot, but trying to tie it all together and trying to create these environments for children to thrive in. Well, the other thing that he, he talked about, and I pulled it out in the episode because it's something that I think is important, is that he talks about he saw the value of playing golf versus being on the range or practicing from a young age, right? Um, which I personally think is, is very important as we need to get more people playing golf and competing rather than, you know, standing on the range all day, which is culturally becoming a bit more of the norm as a parent somehow got this idea that their kid needs to, you know, make 110 footers in a row rather than go play golf for four hours with some friends, you know? So like I, that was something that I, I wanted to pull out and emphasize also in this episode right away. No, I agree more with that. I mean, nothing substitutes for playing, right? As far as everything you, you develop skill, but you also learn how to actually play and, you know, athletes or golfers, ask the question, well, how do, how come I play so well in the range or hit the ball so well in the range, but it's never the same in the course. It's because they're not playing, right? They're not playing enough. They're, they're, they're simply, it's almost like two different sports, your range work and then your competition. So trying to mesh the two anytime you can is I, I think the best way to improve. But you ask the kids the question, same thing though. Like, do, do you have a good time sitting on the range for three or four hours? And if they say, yeah, I love it. That's great too. I, I don't know if that's going to lead to better scores necessarily but if they enjoy hitting balls go do it well and even i think this this applies to you know at the higher level as well you know matt further on his story in college he talks about how they didn't have a full roster so everybody had to play every week 
you know, the college is in Florida, so you're playing year round. And he looks to that as a time that he really, you know, gained a lot of skill because he was playing in tournaments every time that the team had a tournament. And right. just putting in those reps time and time and time. And, and and you hear that that same story with anecdotally from from other pros just saying like, yeah, even though they're playing on the PGA Tour on the web.com, still they go out and just play money games when they're at home with other pros. And like that's a good chunk of what they're investing their time into for, for practice and, and skill development. Yeah, for sure. You find, you know, at events – you know, guys are playing obviously practice rounds, and it, but they're not only just using them to, you know, I think the old, old sort of practice round idea was you'd go out and sort of learn about the course. And I think more and more I'm seeing guys competing, you know, in those practice rounds and, and playing it as if it were a tournament. And I think that's a fantastic way to prepare. And then they'll, they'll go do their range work and they'll go do their chipping and putting. But it, it's not, you know, the percentage of time spent on the course versus on the practice tees is much less than I think it used to be. So, I mean, you work with a wide range of different types of players, et cetera. This idea of being competitive or always competing pops that we've, I mean, we've talked about a number of times here. Would you say that most of the players that you work with are very like just competitive in nature? Yeah, 100%. And yeah, I think they're born that way. And I think Matt talked about that too. In fact, I think he used those exact words, right? Like, I, was, I think I was just born that way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can make someone competitive, right? I think that has to sort of come from, uh, one, a desire to sort of improve and to sort of prove yourself. But I struggle with that a lot. And, and it's a great question and, and one I'm always open to talk to people about. But how do you make somebody competitive? being competitive is that a good thing i don't know i mean i think if that's who you are it is a good thing but trying to make yourself competitive i don't think is going to work very well and, and i don't mean look you can still shoot good scores and win golf tournaments by not being competitive i think also and, and who are you competitive with do you want to beat people or do you want to show yourself that you're able to shoot certain scores based on all the work that you sort of put in so it's a great question and you know, we see all these sort of reports about like traits of all these winners and traits of people who have had success. And and I feel like that can be really intimidating to kids to see and say, oh, wait, I'm not like that guy. But and this is what all people who are successful are like. And maybe there's something wrong with me. Right. So I think this all gets back to this idea of sort of embracing who we are as people and, and our strengths and sort of playing to our strengths and knowing that regardless of whether we have all the traits of successful people or not, that we can still be successful as long as we don't resist ourselves. And I think, you know, those studies are great and, and it's fun to sort of read about successful people and all the things they've done. And But mimicking those qualities, if they're not innate in us, I think can be really damaging sometimes. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, let's be honest. There's no checklist to succeeding or being successful in, in golf specifically, no, right? Golf is the best example for that, right? Like there's no, there's no sort of, formula that everyone has to subscribe to to be successful yeah everyone's gonna look different everyone's gonna you know function different the similarities are not huge i mean one of the similarities i I will say is that i I mean a lot of players do talk about being competitive though i mean i i have heard that really often i i feel like is players just talking about that as just being being a trader being something that they they think about 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot. It, it's such an interesting sort of topic. This idea that we sort of need to be competitive, and you know, it definitely comes up a lot. But I know guys that aren't overly competitive who have also been successful. Yeah. And again, I think people need to define, especially with golf, like it's a little bit different in other sports. But to define, like, what does competitive mean to you as a golfer, and really run with that, right? Does it mean like stepping on other guys' throats and trying to beat people, or does it mean improving with your, you know, competitive with yourself, like? Here's where I am today. This is where I want to be tomorrow. And how am I going to get there? And, and that's competition in itself. So I think defining that for, for yourself is, is, is sort of the first step. Gotcha. The other kind of interesting thing about Matt's story here is that he wasn't successful in his original goal, which was to, you know, play on tour. Yeah. He didn't make it in the mini tours and ended up making a decision to stop, which I thought was kind of a, it's a, it'd be crazy time in your life to, to go through that and kind of make that massive lifestyle change. There's just lots of little interesting things in how he described that and how I'm sure looking back now, he's, you know, sees it as, as the good choice, but in the moment had to be, had to be pretty hard. And I'm sure you've, you've dealt with quite a few players that, you know, have lost their PGA tour card or haven't gotten the, you know, they've been on the web and they haven't been able to get it, you know, dealing with that, <laughs> that loss has to be difficult going through that in the moment without knowing what's going to happen down, down the road. Like we do in this story. Yeah. It, it's probably, it's the hardest thing. There's so many unknowns and go like, there's no guaranteed anything. Right. So that, that is always, you know, the challenge of the golfer, the professional golfer is just sort of maintain their status really. Right. Like that's what it all boils down to. And, you know, there's the few who have guaranteed basically status for the rest of their careers, but there's not many of those guys. And, I think everyone's sort of in the same boat as far as that's concerned. And it is. It's a struggle. You know, you see guys still chasing it up into their almost 50s, right? He's showing up at Monday qualifiers. I was at a Monday qualifier down in Tampa a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the the field is made up of all past champions in the PGA Tour. And it's it's wild how, you know, those guys still still are chasing it. And, and it's great. Hoping they're enjoying it. And, and golf sort of sets you up for that, right? Like it only takes sort of one week to turn your career around and make a huge change. And, and that's, that's, the, I think a nice part about the sport is that you could show up to a Monday qualifier and, you know, play great that day and get into the field and who knows what happens then, right? Things can change so quickly in golf. For sure. That change that, that happened there for his life, that decision to do that was, was really drastic. It, and it sounds like he, he did it at the right time though. He didn't delay it too long or too early didn't quit. It was kind of, yeah. it was really fascinating because it seemed like he made the decision kind of at the right point, which not yeah, many of us exactly. do. It did. Right. Where it's, you know, looking back now, it's easy to say that. I, I don't know if he necessarily thought that when it would happen, but for sure things have gone quite well for Matt, both in his personal life and golf since then. I think there's, there's this added sort of aspect to professional golf. It's not only obviously being good enough and being good enough often, but it's it's a lifestyle too, right? It's it's sort of a lonely lifestyle. It's an expensive lifestyle. It's a lot of travel, and, and there's so there are other aspects that I think that aren't as appealing to some others as they may think, right? Being you know it looks like it's glamorous, and it is for you know a few people, but there, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of stress, and it, it takes a lot out of you. And there's plenty of people who are good enough to play out there, and but there's others. Most people aren't you know that doesn't that lifestyle doesn't appeal to them. Jumping forward in the story to, you know, his amateur success, something really interesting is like when he had all this 
the success. He won the Mid-Am, et cetera. He, he won a, a handful of tournaments around that as well and really had this amazing kind of stretch of, of golf, which in a sense changed his life again, right? Because he was invited to, you know, the Masters, right. US Open, et cetera, and, and did well in those. And, and it was cool to see. But it's interesting how that happens, how you, how you have those good stretches of golf. That's right. Uh, you know, a month, six weeks, et cetera, that really have a big impact on, on you. I think that's, you know, one of the most impressive things about Matt is his really deep understanding of how difficult golf is, meaning you're going to have, right, like stretches like that where you play great and a lot of things can change in that period, but you're also going to have a lot of like down periods where you're not necessarily playing great. And he's been so good at not fighting those times, knowing that things will turn around as he sort of keeps going, knowing he's doing the right things. He's not making these major changes. He's not, you know, disrupting his whole life to, to, you know, find something that's missing. He just knows that that's part of the deal of being a golfer. And I think that's such a great lesson for people that, yeah, you, it, it's almost, it's so impossible to be consistent in golf, but it's also not necessary. And I think he may be the best example of that. Yeah, no, his, his perspective does seem good. He did understanding what he needs to do to get himself ready for tournaments now at this point, you know, in his career, you know, what kind of practice he needs, that kind of stuff. It, it sounds like he has a, an idea of, of what it's going to take to get him to the level that he needs to be at to compete, which I, I can imagine only takes time to, to figure that out. There's no magic bullet because we're all a little bit different on what it's going to take for us to, to get ready. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, the high-end mid-am player, it's a really <laughs> difficult sort of category of golfer, right? Most of them have jobs, yet they're teeing up in these super competitive environments. So balancing your time with, you know, being efficient with your practice because you don't have as much time practicing. I think what's different on tour is, you know, because it's your job, you take as much time as you need to practice, right? At that mid-am level, that high-end mid-am level, everyone's a little bit different. Some guys don't work as much and they have more time to practice, whereas others are working sort of more normal hours and don't have the same amount of time. So there's a big discrepancy in the amount of time these guys have to practice and prepare for these events. So it's a, re it's a really interesting category of, of competition to watch these mid-ams. I'll put you on the spot here with this question, but why do you think that he's been, you know, had had the success as an amateur player? You know, what are some of the the traits that you know that Matt has that help him, you know, play at such a high level at this, you know, obviously highly competitive stage of, of amateur yeah. golf? There's one thing that always comes to mind with him and his complete sort of comfort with himself. It sounds simple. But I don't know if, and it, it, you know, sometimes it takes people a little bit longer than others to realize that. And, and also his sort of deep understanding of the difficulties of the game. So he's not so hung up on bad results. And those two things, his comfort level with himself and his non-resistance to whatever is happening, as well as his understanding of the difficulty of the game and his expectation level, even for a guy that's that good. Those two things make him the player that he is, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the story that, that I remember from that is that, you know, between winning the, I don't know if it was the Massachusetts State Am and the Mid-Am or something, he missed the cut at, at a different amateur event, like in between those wins or something right. like that. And then, you know, in the interview, he was just like, yeah, it happens. Yeah, it's fine. 
And that's, <laughs> and that's authentic, right? Like some guys would say that, but that, that's what he really sort of embodies that and, and believes that. So it, it, that is that is definitely a trait for him then. That's not just something that he says, that's something that he believes, and he knows that. No, he that lives we, that. You can't have a bad day, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to him after tournaments where he's played poorly, and it's no different actually than when he's playing well. He, he just has such a great understanding of the complexity of the game and the difficulty to be consistent. And he's living proof that you don't have to be, right? Well, the balance, though, I mean, the struggle for me, I guess, would be we've talked about competition being competitive, right? If you're competitive, you're trying to compete and then you don't compete, right? Mm -hmm. That is anger, you know, pissed off, frustrated, et cetera. You have those emotions. And right. You also have the reality. You know that you're going to have bad days in golf, bad weeks, bad months, et cetera. Right. So how, balancing those is hard. I, I find yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. I, and I, I think that's, <laughs> Thank that's you. sort of the. <laughs> Right, the secret, if there is one, or right? finding you know that balance and in, in, in understanding how difficult the game is, so that you your expectations are not so skewed. Just assuming that because you played well a few times in your life, that that's how you always are supposed to play, <laughs> right? I mean, that's that's what it boils down mm-hmm. to. Everyone's trying to play to their best, like where they played their best, right? At their in, with it at some point in their life, and I think that's a great question to ask people, right? Like, so yeah, once I shot. 67 and now every time i tee it up that that's my sort of you know norm like that's where i need to be and if i fall short of that you know it's it's been a total failure and and once you sort of overcome that and know that each day is sort of brand new and that it's a challenge in itself that you can really start to get some fulfillment and enjoyment out of the game so that you're not so hung up on these results that never match where you think they're going to be and yeah, I think that's the that's the greatest challenge of, of golf. It's such a bizarre sport in terms of how it sets us up for failure all the time. <laughs> and Greg, we'll end with a bit of announcement here as we've got the Mindfulness for Golf course kicking off very soon. We're going to do some live sessions along with the recorded course that we have so folks can go through that. Learn from you. You've worked with Matt. Obviously, you've worked with a bunch of guys on on tour as well. And so people can kind of learn and hear the conversations that you have with them and hopefully apply it to, to their game. So looking forward to that as well. Um, any interesting stories lately from out on the road or working with players that stand out to you is um, how mindfulness has, has helped people perform better? Um, that's a good Put you on the spot there. Yeah, that's really put me on the spot. <laughs> you know, I, I think I feel I see... You know, most of the small incremental changes in understanding are so much more evident with younger kids I work with who can gain a huge advantage, I think, at a young age by learning, you know, the meaning of our thinking, right? And and how to be such good observers of, of what we think. I think as you get to the higher levels, especially the pro golfers who, who have found success their whole lives doing things a certain way, those those changes are a little bit more spread out. And, you know, hard to sort of come up with sort of more specific examples. But, you know, anybody who gets a chance to sort of observe themselves, right, and learn more about their thinking, I think could benefit greatly from a performance perspective, just sort of separating themselves from their thinking so that they can engage much more freely with their direct experience. Um, So everything's not tainted by what we think. Awesome. Well, hope that some folks join us for that. It's been fun. We've taken a couple hundred people through it already, and hopefully we can take some more folks as well. That sounds great. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, thank you, Corey. Appreciate it. 
And that is all for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Dr. Greg Carton, for hanging out with us this week, sharing some information. We have done quite a bit with Dr. Greg here on Golf Science Lab. We have a course, our Mindfulness for Golf course, which is one of the the best things I can recommend that you go through if you want to improve your golf game, get a better understanding of the mental game. I can't recommend it enough. It's going to help your golf. It's going to help you in life. Please check that out if you want to learn more from Dr. Greg Carton over on the website, golfsciencelab.com. As always, this episode was mixed and produced by Just Hit Published Productions, and we will see you all next week.